The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. From Reuters Breaking Views, I'm Jennifer Saba, and you're listening to The Views Room. This week, we're going to discuss the uncertainty that is spreading in Europe and what it means for some of the region's top leaders. Riots in France, disenchantment in Italy, not to mention the political crisis in Great Britain. Joining us from Milan is Breaking Views columnist Lisa Yuka. Welcome to the program, Lisa. Hello. Hi. So let's start with France. Um, For the past several weeks, there's been a group known as the Yellow Vest, and they've been protesting. Why don't you take us through this and explain to us who they are and why are they so angry? Yes. So um, the Yellow Vest movement, which uh, in French is Gilets Jaunes and really comes from the fact that protesters have been wearing yellow roadside safety vests, um, started off uh, uh, as, a, as a protest against a, a new fuel tax okay. um, the president wanted to introduce, uh, and then rapidly escalated into something bigger than that. It escalated into a full anti-Macron protest. So, okay, they're upset about this fuel tax, but there must be something else um, beneath the surface that is kind of getting this all these people together just to put on these yellow vests and, and, and to course, go to Paris and, and to riot. So so why are they so angry at Macron? What what does Macron represent? So, so we, we have to understand that Macron, um, who was a political novice when he came to power in 2017, right. Right. Okay. has okay. went quite rapidly from being a very popular president with uh, 66% of support when okay. he took office okay. to um, being a very unpopular president. So at the moment, his popularity rate is at 23%. I mean, this is really a record low for him, but probably one of the lowest uh, support rate um, on record in France. And why is that? So he has been um, focusing on promoting France as a good place to do business. Okay, so um, that seems like a good thing, right? He wants it to be more business friendly. He wants it to be more labor friendly. Um, He wants people to come and and have investment in the country. Why, Why is that turning? Why is that so bad? He seems to have forgotten um, if you want um, you know a large part of the population that clearly is not so interested in in big business and big investments i e ordinary voters and um, part of that is due to his own approach and his own manners i mean he 's been uh, defined as the so the president of uh, of the wealthy, of the rich people. Ah. And one thing that really irritated some voters was um, a decision to get away with uh, a wealth tax in France. I mean, this has been, you know, one, um, one choice uh, by the president, which didn't go down well with the have-nots. So, Lisa, from my understanding, then, there was a wealth tax in France, and then Macron took it away, and that obviously upset a lot of, I'm assuming, the working class and laborers. Definitely. So this decision to act, so to eliminate the wealth tax that existed in France, was definitely one of the issues that irritated people. And at the same time, while doing away, so eliminating the wealth tax, he was proposing to raise fuel taxes, which obviously hit everybody, you know, anyone owning a car. So this one did, did not resonate with voters. 
Yeah. So basically, um, kind of boiling this down, he let everybody that the haves continue to have and the have nots got hit um, even more. And that that seems to be what's at the issue here. So how did Macron respond? Um, what did he do? He, My understanding is he I don't want to say folded politically, but he uh, he allowed for some concessions to happen. And, and what were those concessions? Yeah, so I would say that he has chosen social stability over fiscal stability. Okay. So on Monday, when he addressed the nation, he promised a range of measures, totaling 10 billion euros, to help the poorest, um, let's say, part of society, for instance. He introduced uh, um, a higher minimum wage. He allowed for tax cuts for pensioners. So he introduced some measures that really try to um, address the concerns of the uh, poorest part uh, of the population. Okay, did he reinstate the wealth tax? Is that on the table in France? No, it is not on the table. And also, he's not backtracking on his reform agenda, um, which, you know, he thinks is core to creating a more competitive France. And so that broader agenda involves overhauling the pension system, uh, which has been very generous, as you know, in France. Um, It also involves reforming uh, how unemployment benefits are allocated and, you know, structuring public expenditure in a different way. So he's doing both things, if you want. So he wants to keep his reform agenda intact but add some concessions, if you want, um, to, 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 to quell this protest. How has this been going over with the Yellow Vest? Did it placate uh, this group? Well, it is a little bit early to say. I mean, he's just announced the, 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 the measures on Monday. I would say that maybe uh, one interesting element of all this is to see whether these concessions that he made, I mean, these promises, which cost money, will create another headache, i.e. a potential clash with the European Union, uh, which has strict fiscal rules. Okay, Lisa, so Macron promised 10 billion euros. What does this mean for France's deficit and how does this bump up against the EU and their requirements? Okay, so with this 10 billion euros of additional spending, France's deficit is going to go to probably 3.4-3.5% of GDP. Now, this is above a limit of 3% of GDP that EU member states pledge to respect. All right. So Italy is facing a similar situation. So why don't you take us through what is going on currently there and how this is similar to what's going on in France and where the EU is like the friction between these two countries in the EU. So member, member of the, members of the European Union have to respect a set of rules um, you know, one of which, as I was mentioning just uh, just before, is the three percent of um, deficit, um, uh, sorry, three percent of GDP deficit limit. Okay. Um, in the case of Italy, um, the problem is not so much deficit. I mean, they're 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 
pledging to spend 2.4%, I mean, have a deficit of 2.4% next year, but they have a very large debt, much higher than France. So France is below 100% of the GDP. I'm talking about the public debt. Okay. In the case of Italy, that level is 131% of GDP, so much higher. Okay, so, so it's not just the deficit, it's also their debt. Yes, yeah, so because, um, you know, you basically have to look at different fiscal parameters if you want. Uh, you know, the, the, the key question is to maintain stable finances within the, the block, within Got the it. European Union. Got so it. that's why we have this set of guidelines. And the European Commission in Brussels is the guardian, if you want, of those fiscal rules. So each year, the budgets of each individual country, uh, all of, of, sorry, all of the individual countries are assessed by the European Commission in Brussels, which makes sure whether they conform or not to this agreed fiscal rules. If they don't, countries can face sanctions. Okay, so sanctions meaning fines, uh, effectively. Fines, indeed. Um, in, I mean, it has never happened that a country has been fined, but what happened is that if you are under threat of a fine, you would engage in a negotiation, let's say with Brussels, with the European Commission, and try to adjust your budget so that you can conform uh, more with those fiscal rules. Um, I mean, there is some leeway, obviously. I mean, they're not so strictly enforce the rules. I mean, there's always room for interpretation. Um, But as I said, in the case of Italy, the fact that the country has such a large debt is a worry because, I mean, it just doesn't make the finances sustainable in the wrong run. So that's why people are particularly concerned about um, Italy spending maybe a little bit too much. So if I'm Italy and I'm looking at the situation in France, I might say to myself, wait a minute, uh, how come Macron may get away with this? I mean, even though the, the parameters are a little different, uh, he's still going over what EU um, is mandating. I would sit there and say, that's not fair. How, how far, you know, as, as Italy, I would try and push those boundaries. So what are they trying to do that? Are they using France basically as a chip in their negotiations with the EU? So Ma- Macron has given Italy a weapon, to push back against the European Commission in Brussels, for sure. Because Italy can point the finger at Macron, at France, and say, hey, look at them. They're even going, you know, you're criticizing us for spending a little bit more, but we are within the 3% parameter. France is going even beyond that. And let's not forget that France has breached that 3% limit for several consecutive years. So, you know, if you want, it's been a repeated offender uh, in ignoring that particular parameter. So if you ask him, what is Italy going to do? I mean, of course, they're going to try to push back. Um, They're still negotiating with the European Commission. They they may reduce, you know, some of their promises anyway, but maybe not go as far as the Commission had requested just because of what Macron has just announced. So to stand back even further and really kind of try and boil the situation down. It seems to me as if though the EU is made up of all these bureaucrats who go to their jobs um, and are well-meaning and have well intentions. And then there is the political reality in, in each situation and with each country in France and in, in Italy, where, for example, you have Macron who's up against, uh, you know, his popu- 
popularity rating, which is in, in the in the tank, it sounds like. Um, and basically, the people are upset. So you have the people that are really upset, and then you have Brussels kind of saying, okay, listen, we need to do these fis- fiscal measures. This is does not seem like it's going to end well. It's quite a complex situation, for sure, also because, um, as you are pointing out, um, the, you know, the people in Brussels are unelected. Um, I mean, they, they obviously, uh, if you look at the commission specifically, you know, the individual commissioners have been nominated by individual countries, but obviously they've not been elected in national elections. So um, this brings the debate, if you want, more into focus on whether these rules are correct, are the right rules. I mean, people do agree that there should be some fiscal coordination in Europe, in particular for countries that have joined the euro, and Mm -hmm. France and Italy are, you know, such countries, so that there should be fiscal coordination, that you shouldn't have a situation where a country is very thrifty and a country is just, you know, throwing money down the drain. And this is obviously the position of Germany, if you want. But at the same time, when you're faced with uh, social unrest at home, what do you do? Um, do you completely forget your voters uh, to to stick to the rules? One more comment I could make, however, is to try and explain maybe the the rules better to the population and at the same time maybe have a a rethink, um, you know, at national levels of, of, you know, whether these rules as they are, I mean, they were designed a few years back, whether these are the best set of rules that uh, we can possibly have, particularly in the Eurozone. Is the EU having a moment where they may reconsider some of this stuff, or do you see them kind of bearing down and 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 saying, "Look, look, this is what we agreed upon, and this is what we're going to do"? I don't see it yet. I mean, I don't see this kind of moment of reflection yet uh, uh, coming to the fore, but it may change um, over time, maybe even next year. What's the market telling you now about Italy and and those policies? Very, very, um, very simple answer. The market is unhappy about the the policies and worried about the government that came into place in at the end of May. The cost uh, for the state to to issue government bonds, I mean, has ballooned. It's, mm. it's almost 300 basis points over um, the equivalent uh, uh, German in, uh, interest rate. So you, you can clearly see that the market is nervous, unhappy, doesn't think that Italy is going in the right direction, is worried that the measures won't revive growth. And this is a sign of whether or not Italy is sticking to the EU rules. So it sounds like um, that... EU with the regulations, they're unhappy with because those requirements aren't being met. You have member countries like France and Italy that are pushing up against it. And you have the people there that are restive and are unhappy and politicians who are scared that they're going to lose their jobs effectively because they're not going to be voted back in. And then you have the market saying, listen, we're unhappy with all these policies anyway. So it just sounds like a lot of unhappiness in Europe. A lot of unhappiness in Europe, and we'll see how the whole thing develops next year. Okay, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Lisa Yuka. And also, hats off to our producers, Ross Shoulder and Freddie Joyner. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com and subscribe to The Views Room on iTunes. Don't forget to tune in next week for another edition.